0: grace to you and peace from god our father and from our lord and savior jesus christ our text for today the gospel lesson the account of the widow or two mites as they are often called from the 12th chapter of saint mark these words in particular and jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury many rich people threw in large amounts but a poor widow came And she put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. This is our text, dear friends, in Christ. Generally speaking, Jesus had what one might call a very prickly relationship with the scribes of the day. He was, after all, an irritant underneath the skin of the scribes and if you would look at the whole history of the scribes you'd quickly see that the scribes were a very thin skinned order of people of religious leaders in the church of the day the bottom line was they didn't like Jesus very much And it's not an overestimate to say that they were quite open about the fact that they really didn't like Jesus at all and considered him to be quite a threat to everything that they held to and everything that they believed in. And so throughout the gospel of St. Mark, interestingly, we see Jesus being taken on by the scribes on so many different occasions of at least five occasions prior to our text for today back in Mark 3 they're insisting that Jesus must be possessed by Beelzebub an old name that means the Lord of the Flies the Prince of Darkness and so they said in essence that Jesus must be possessed by the devil in Mark 7 they charged him with a total disregard for the pharisaic laws that had been put into place by the scribes and the Pharisees and their kind over the course of time because his disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands as they were supposed to according to the scribes in Mark 11 they perceived Jesus to be a threat to their power and to their control and Mark tells us in Mark 11 that quote they began seeking how to destroy him because they were afraid of him unquote and then later in that same chapter They confront Jesus again in the temple because they were charging him as being a rebel, saying to him, by what authority do you teach and do these things? And finally in Mark 12, just before today's text, St. Mark tells us that they were quote, seeking to seize him, but they feared the multitude. Interesting isn't it that the Scribes feared both Jesus and the multitude that came to him. And you know what fear is, it drives people, whether it's in your own individual life or in anyone around you, what fear will do to people, having them do things that indeed are wrong. The scribes, these are men who should have known better, the scribes, the men recognized by the people as being the scholars of the law of God. Gramatase, they were called. Gramma, like grammar. Men of letters. Men of title and position and honor. Nomakoi, another term that was used for them. Nomos, the word meaning law. Nomakoi then was a, a lawyer, and they were called lawyers. And sometimes in the King James Version of the Bible, you'll see them called either scholars, or you'll see them called lawyers, or you might even see them called nomadidaskaloi which in the, the Greek means nomos law, didaskaloi, meaning a teacher of or a doctor of the law and so they're sometimes called doctors of the law in the King James version for example but they were titles titles representing a specific status that these men had in the religious society of the time and oh how they enjoyed that status and how they used that status in order to enrich themselves financially Every opportunity they had, something indeed that was picked up on by Jesus in our text for today when he says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and then as though introducing the account of the widow in our text for today, he says to the scribes that they are those also who devour the houses of the widows. You see, it wasn't the long robes, it wasn't the greetings of honor which condemned the scribes. In fact, special attire, robes and garments to identify a specific title to designate an office ordained by God was as old as the law itself, as what God himself instituted and put into effect generations before. It wasn't the attire, it wasn't the titles that were given in respect for the office that God himself had ordained for the people of God. In fact, this is, the titles and the robes and things like that were things that were continued on by the apostles of our Lord, In the early church. The specific garments and titles of respect were used to identify those who were ordained by God to represent him in the midst of his people. Robes and titles weren't the problem. The self-serving arrogance And the self-righteous attitude of those who wore the robes and those who bore those honored titles was the problem, a problem which exposed itself most readily in the fact that these scribes made no bones, about the fact that they would in fact devour widows houses, Jesus says. What a charge could be more damning than that, than that which Jesus says when he says that they devoured widows houses. There's no charge that could be more damning than that because after all in the society of ancient Israel widows were the most protected by Mosaic law. It was the widow, it was the orphan, protected by Mosaic law. And so the law of Moses said, Thou shalt not wrong any widow or any orphan. And King David in the 68th Psalm said it so clearly, the Lord is the father of the fatherless, and he's the defender of the widow. And as we sang earlier in the Psalm for today, the 146th, the Lord supports the way of the fatherless and the way of the widow, and he thwarts the way of the wicked. And the prophet Isaiah, loved by the scribes, which is probably in part why Jesus quoted Isaiah so often, pronounces severe condemnation on those who, quote, plunder widows and plunder orphans. Little wonder that the ancient historical record entitled Maccabees records for us that there was a temple fund a temple fund that became resources explicitly set aside for the care and for the support of widows and orphans. A special nurturing care and responsibility that the church throughout the ages has felt for its own, reflected even in the Acts of the Apostles. Wherein St. Luke tells us that the Apostles addressed one of the earliest practical problems in the fledgling church, namely that some of the widows, remember in Acts 6, some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. Widows throughout the history of the church, held in high esteem and honor, reflected by the Apostle Paul who writes, Give special attention to the widows who are a need and honor them. Or the Apostle James, who says, quote, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, unquote. Through the ages and to this very day, the Christian church through the world prays in her historic liturgy, quote, for the aged and infirmed, for the widowed and the orphaned, and for the sick and for the suffering unquote. Widows. Now think of widows being taken advantage of by scurrilous scribes of whom Jesus in today's gospel warns his disciples beware. And you can be sure that they were watching Jesus closely as he spoke these words and as they heard him saying these words you can be sure that they were watching closely as they heard him say we beware of the scribes words of warning echoing throughout the temple courts words at which the scribes must have anchored their nails into the pillars of the temple behind which they hid or upon the the temple Seats and the benches upon which they perhaps sat sat not far at all from Jesus as they heard these words being said. There near the temple treasury, even so close to Jesus, who then Saint Mark says watched people putting their money into the offering vessel. So picture it: the scribes around, watching Jesus close at hand or from a distance. Jesus sitting, watching the people putting money into the temple treasury. Interesting isn't it that the text in the back of your bulletin says that they put money into the offering box, but then you look at the picture in the front of the bulletin cover and you have the the money being put into a, a horn-like vessel. Well, the word that Saint Mark uses is gazafulakion, which means a guarded treasury which really doesn't tell us much about the shape of the vessel into which she put her money or they put their money but according to the Jewish Mishnah the official teachings of Judaism compiled in the second century AD these vessels in the court of the women in particular were quote 13 trumpet shaped receptacles 13 trumpet shaped receptacles that stood against the wall and functioned to gather the gifts of the faithful for the temple treasury." Sounds much like the picture of what you have on your bulletin cover. Imagine the sound, the sound being made by a copious flood of coins being deposited into this narrow net trumpet-shaped vessel, dozens of coins, even more being poured into this thing as it trumpeted forth their grand entrance into the guarded treasury of the Lord. As the choir sang earlier, the temple rang with golden coins, the rich and bright array contributed from gleaming hordes their scales could scarcely weigh. Get the sense of it, get the sound of it, the effect And then, what was it that the choir sang? A widow came with copper coins and offered them in praise. They were the last she had to give or save for darker days. When Jesus saw her costly gift and knew that she had no more, he praised a love that spared not self and called her rich, though poor. This Poor widow, Jesus said, has put in more than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything that she had. You see, the measure of her gift wasn't so much in the number of coins that she gave. She had but two. And is isn't significant that she had two because she could have kept one and given the other. But having had two, she gave both. The measure of the gift that she gave isn't in the number of coins that she gave, but is what remained after she had given. Nothing remained. For she gave both. Nothing remained because she gave her all. And do you know what that is, friends? It's not some good work that accomplished something for her. What it was was evidence of a faith that God had created in her. It's a statement of faith. It's a confession that she made. She was, by that giving it all, simply confessing that she had absolute confidence in the promises of God, faith in the God in whom she had that confidence, faith in the God in whom she had placed her trust not only for that day, but for tomorrow and the days thereafter. Faith in the God who had promised so many times in the past, as we previously heard, promised that he was the father of the fatherless and the defender of the widow, the God who promised that he would not forsake nor allow to be forsaken by his church, the widow of Israel. And this woman had confidence in that. She had faith in the promises of God, the God who, nearly eight centuries before, this widow of Jerusalem had even set foot in the temple court had set the feet of his prophet Isaiah, as we heard in the Old Testament lesson today, on his way to a drought-stricken city of Zarephath, not to care for a widow in desperate need, but rather to be fed by a poor widow in desperate need a destitute widow, a widow who had so little, nothing, remember in the Old Testament lesson, but a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, she said, just enough, she said, to feed herself and her son and then they could go on and die because it wouldn't be enough for the morrow. But the prophet said to her, first, make me a little cake of that precious flour and oil as a representative of God. Make me a... Little cake of that precious flour and oil and then make something for yourself and your son. For thus the Lord God of Israel says the jar shall not be spent and the jug shall not be empty. And that woman of Zarephath, acting in faith, found that for her household for many days thereafter, Scripture says, the jug wasn't empty and the flour was there at hand. Don't you think that this famous account of the prophet of God with the widow of Zarephath was on the mind of the widow at Jerusalem as she went into the temple courts on that day God would she was confident because of his promises and examples in times past God would provide for her in her need even as he had provided for the widow of Zarephath and her even as he will provide for every widow who sits in this sanctuary today And every widow in his church tomorrow. And widow or not, God will provide for all of his own. Because he who spared not his own son. But delivered him up for us all. Will he not also with him, St. Paul says, freely give us all things that we need. Widow or not. That's his promise it's a promise that's signed by and a promise that's sealed with and a promise that's delivered in the blood of Jesus Christ who though he Saint Paul says was rich yet for your sakes became poor that in his poverty you might be made rich isn't that what our epistle lesson today is really all about about the widow's friend who is first and foremost the sinner's friend the one who the writer of Hebrews says in our epistle for today appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin how by the sacrifice of himself it's about Christ Jesus giving his all his all for us his all for us as the choir sang about not long ago when it said at last he Christ brought his offering and he laid it on a tree there gave himself his life and his love for all humanity the widow's wealth was not after all in what she gave the widow's wealth was in fact in the faith that she had been given and in the object of that faith to whom she gave all because she knew and she believed that he would be giving his all for her life and her eternal salvation And you, my friends, share her faith. And you share in him the eternal wealth of this widow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.